Welcome to the Camerosity Podcast, the first ever open source film photography podcast. I am your host, Mike Ekman, and tonight we have a very special episode. Along with Anthony, Paul, Theo, and myself, we will be talking to Dean Ginsberg and James Carr, creators of a brand new documentary film revival. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Let's just jump right in and have you tell us a little bit about yourselves and what Revival is about. So, yeah, my name's Dean, out of Sydney, Australia. Oh, I mean, it's a big thing. Where do I start? I was born 35 years ago. No, that's probably a bit too far back. Um, basically, James and I got into 35 mil photography pretty, pretty late, actually, considering. Um, we had sort of been um, video creators, you know, James producing me, directing, um, doing various projects over the years. And then I sort of got into 35 mil photography when uh, one of our directors, a really good friend of mine, uh, we hired him and he was into it. And I don't know, I got a camera and I sort of just fell in love with 35 in a way that I hadn't with digital. And I don't know, it took a while for that to sort of brew and realize that it just sort of, I don't know, I just started taking different photos and, and engaged with it in a really different way. And then that's sort of where the project was born. Um, Stepping outside of the project, uh, yeah, Sydney, Australia, um, run a, a video production company, sort of is my day-to-day, and then obviously uh, hoping to breathe life into the project revival. Yeah, thanks for having me, everyone. Yeah, so I'm, I'm James Carr. Um, I was in business with Dean for about, oh, I suppose, I suppose we've been working together for about 10 years or so, but we were officially in, in business as business partners for about seven years in the same production company. Um, and, round it uh, up to a decade, round it up to a decade. Yeah, we'll round it up to a decade. So we've been working together a long time. And I think that, you know, we'd really cut our teeth on a lot of short form documentary. And it felt like doing a project that was long form was a, a good extension of all the great work that we'd done together. And to be frank, like, I just had so much envy for how much enjoyment that Dean and his friends were having shooting 35 mil. And so he got me into it about four years ago, I think. And um, that was really the genesis of us both, you know, deciding that there was that there was an interesting story to be told here. So it, it really grew out of our our communal interest in in getting into photography. Oh, that's that's brilliant. So so you've referred to the project, and obviously I mentioned the documentary a little bit. What's the documentary about? From my perspective, it's about the revival of the resurgence of film. But obviously, there are, you know, as 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 we've been going along and filming the the Kickstarter trailer and starting to film the actual documentary, there's sort of like two areas, I guess, emerging. So one is people who never said, never gave up on film and have been keeping it alive this whole time, if you will. And and from that perspective, you know, well, hey, it's it's keeping the torch alive. And from from you know the younger generation, like I'd say, like myself, for example, where I grew up digital um, in terms of when I got my start, it was like the 5D Mark II had just come out. And that sort of was was the tech, I guess, that I adopted early in my career, uh, you know, from, from video and photography side. Um, and there's sort of like young people who didn't grow up with film, discovering it for the first time. So, you know, I guess it's about looking at that, what it is, why it's happening, what people think about it. And then I think really interestingly, I guess diving a layer or two or three deeper than that and and what it says about us you know like things that have come to the surface are i don't know like we don't have family photo albums anymore i remember you know my my parents have family photo albums and um uh, like for example i don't know i'm uh, my fiance and i are expecting a baby in may which is super exciting and so when, when we told my no thank you thank you when we told my parents my mom was like oh and like there you go out come all the photo you know she reaches up 
you know, she, she reaches up to the photo album place just once a year and it comes down and we're looking at all these hard copy photos of uh, me naked as a baby. It's a bit weird. It's pretty funny. But um, anyway, like that type of experience, I don't know. Does it happen the same way in digital? Maybe, maybe so. Maybe, maybe there are, you know, pros, cons to both, I guess. But I don't know. There's sort of like an interesting thing that's happened. Like digital is, is, is faster and obviously it, it like had a huge swell in the early 2000s as, as digital was coming in. Um, but I guess my, my thought is like, hey, what have we lost and, and maybe gained, but what have we lost along the way, I guess, is, is for me what I'm interested in exploring. So the documentary will cover a little bit of history pre the revival as well, sort of leading into the revival, or it will be purely based on the revival and the, the hip things that have been happening since then? Pretty far and wide, to be honest. Like one, it's so interesting. Like there's, I don't know, if, um, from a documentary perspective, I, I think of them as like strands. And a lot of the time you start filming a project and strands emerge and then you start pulling on those strands and, and you know, you go deeper and deeper and deeper into both story and like layers below. So one example of that is um, Adrian Cook, who um, was the first person who we started filming with for the documentary. He's a tin type or wet plate photographer, used to be uh, in advertising, in film, things went digital. It sort of wasn't for him. He really loved being in the dark room and the tactility of, of photography. And so when it went digital, being on a screen all day wasn't for him. And he's like, hey, I want to go back to something or go back to something a bit more tactile. So that's what he does now. And he takes all these amazing portraits on, on web plate. And so we ended up going with him to do some work. Um, so he was doing a, a, a sort of like, I guess, a photography session for a couple of days um, at Golgong uh, at the Holterman exhibit. There's a museum there. And there's like this exhibition there with all this web plate photography from, I can't remember exactly when the date is. James, do you, do you remember when the, I think it's like it's hundreds of years ago. It's like a mining town. It was the 1870s during the gold rush era in um, the Australian yeah, outback. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Wow. And so he's, and so Adrian has been reliving the footsteps of these photographers, Morgan and Bayliss. They used to go around the Australian outback in that gold rush era with a horse and cart drawn laboratory. And so he's doing the same thing, but it's a caravan on the back, on the back of a car. But he's, do he's doing it 120 years later or 140 years later. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, th thanks, James. So in terms of relating that back, like in terms of how far back do you go, it's like, well, I don't know, pretty far back you can and you can go, you know, that's what I love about documentary, especially Adrian's story, where you can, you can do something in the now and then it suddenly there's a story strand that cuts back to 1870 in a place that I'd never heard of. And we went out there and there are really, you know, interesting photos of this mining town where they made everything from the trees that were around. Um, they also have, I think it's the, if my memory serves me correctly, the world's first panorama photo um, they had on display there, which was, I think, taken in Sydney, of actually Sydney Harbour by um, by these two people, Bayless and Nelson. And, and, and I think it's I've up from where the Shaw, yeah, where the Shaw High School is now from the tower. It used to be, I think that was the Holtman's house, I believe. And they did like, you know, pan the camera or whatever as they're doing... Um, these wet plate exposures and, and, you know, panorama photography was born, I guess. We've actually had a lot of conversation about panorama photography on this uh, podcast. I don't think we've ever quite hit wet plate panorama before. So that's, that's a yeah. one. <laughs> What's cool about panoramics is um, in a way we can't recreate with modern smartphones, the, the look of an old panoramic camera, the swing lens, it looks totally different. You know, you could do stitching, of course, with any smartphone. And I mean, it kind of replicates that effect, but there's always artifacts. There's always like weird jagged lines or if something's moving, it's some crazy artifact. But when you look at those old, like I always would see them with like some university's graduating class 
you'd have this tremendously huge long line of people all lined up on this really long rectangle. But what people don't realize is they were actually standing in like a half circle, you know, and the camera was pivoting around essential access, you know, recording that image slowly. And sometimes people would get creative and one guy from one end would run behind the camera and get to the other side of the <laughs> before the camera would. So you could actually have the same person in the same shot at both ends of it, you know. And, and I mean, I, you could technically do anything today with digital, but the fact that that was done practically and, and you could make these huge prints, you know, some of the old circuit cameras could make a, a print that was 100 feet wide and you had pretty good resolution from it. Yeah, I mean, that, that, taps, into a super, that, that taps into a super thing of like, real versus digital and like what is the difference and and that's something right. that, that both james and i have been talking from the beginning of like i don't i don't know what's the value of a tangible thing versus the digital thing if at all and are they the same if they are how, right. how close are they how closely are they aligned and i think that you know there's if i think of like um what's a good example like say lord of the rings obviously orcs don't exist but our mind goes with it because we know orcs don't exist. So we're seeing all these battles take place. Yeah, I know. Hey, revelation. It's, 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 it's made up. Uh, Lord of the Rings is not a documentary. Um, but um, yeah, so we go along with it. But then there's a different sensibility that comes from like, I don't know, like watching um, David Lean, Lawrence of Arabia, some of the shots there where you know that there are like 10,000 people down on that sand plane. And they are, there's a certain sense of, I think, epicness that comes from that because you know it actually happened in a way that is, it's it's a different, I don't know, maybe the right way to describe it. It's like a different flavor of epic, if you will, that's distinct from digital epic, your Marvel, or I don't know, however one might describe it. So, you know, yeah, is it is it is it different? I don't know, it's, it's, it's a good question. You kind of value the, what the work that they did to make the image. It's like when you watch Star Wars, and that was the big thing when I was a kid, and then later on you find out that it was all hand-painted on glass and then photographed through stacks of glass. And it's like, oh, my goodness, they did those special effects hand-painted on glass. And, photog and if you see those old analogue photographs, what work did they have to do to get that result? Yeah, them thematically this is a very interesting question and that's a really good point, Matt, because that that's one of the questions we want to explore a lot in the documentary is th this notion that, one of the photographers brought up, Edie Sunday um, from the United States, she was saying there's a difference between a photograph and an image. You know, a, pho a photograph is something that is real and is captured by light, whereas an image is something that is just created or it can be, an image can be considered more artificial or more, um, more contrived than a photograph has to be. Maybe, but obviously also it's a balance, right? Because not to undersell cgi and all the rendering and all the art and effort that goes into creating for example lord of the rings or the way they do it the way they do it now one could argue that that is you know again it's its own special flavor so i guess i guess for me the learning journey has been just like i guess i've had a more of an expansion of the different flavors of of photography along this journey you know and, and maybe maybe they all have a place if so what is it it's, um yeah it's been been good so far and i'm sure it'll be good as we continue along the, the process of making the film. A couple of years ago, uh, I had the opportunity, a friend of mine is teaches photography at a local community college, and you know she knows that I'm into film. Her class is entirely digital. And she said, hey, if you ever want to come, you know, talk to my class about film, you know, you're welcome to. So we, you know, we scheduled it and I went there and I brought a few old film cameras and the class was mostly younger people. You know, there were a few people like my age, maybe a little bit older, different people just wanted different things out of photography. And, uh, you know, one thing that kind of put their mind at ease, I think, is that 
digital and film can coexist. Like both are valid formats of expressing yourselves. I mean, I shoot digital, I shoot film. Like, yeah, there you're gonna run into the old farts that have never given up film and anything that doesn't involve, you know, uh, film, you know, developing it's, it's, it's crap, you know, and then you're going to have some people that have no interest in the process of film either. But what would really, I think, put that class at ease was I said their professor, you know, had taught them the rule of thirds, you know, all the different things you you learn in like a basic film, I'm sorry, photography class. And I said, 99% of what you were taught also applies to film, you know? So like, I think there were some film curious people in that class, but they were intimidated. They were afraid to step into it. But I, I showed them, you know, like a Canon AE-1 or some kind of, you know, common beginner's camera like that. And I would say everything you've learned is exactly the same. Cameras capture light regardless if it's on film or digital. The principles yeah, of what go into making a good photograph is exactly the same. Now, how you end up getting that, that photograph out of the camera is where it's different. But in terms of your ability to either shoot a DSLR or a digital mirrorless or an old rangefinder or an old film SLR, it, you already have that ability. And I think that once you put their mind at ease, that you're not trying to say you can't shoot digital if you shoot film or you can't shoot film if you shoot digital. Just shoot both. Like there's valid reasons to do both. Mm. Um, I have small kids. I'll be honest with you. Shooting film run of, of kids running around in a park is is very frustrating. And <laughs> you know, so I'm gonna yeah, pull yeah, out yeah. my I'm gonna pull out my digital camera, put it on burst mode, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the best looking picture. You know, if I want a nice picture yeah, of my yeah. kids running around, but but then there's other times where I genuinely enjoy film. You know, the process, the look. You know, that that tangibility that you were speaking of earlier. It's kind of like you give a kid a video game system. If you just give it to them and they break it, it's like it doesn't mean anything to them. But you make that kid cut some grass, you know, mow the lawn, do some chores, earn an allowance, save their money. When they finally get that video game system, they appreciate it more. And I feel that it's kind of the same way with film is, you know, when you only got 24 exposures on 35 millimeter or 12 with the Rolleiflex or one with a wet plate camera, you're going to want to make it count. You're going to put that effort into it. And when you do get a good image, it feels really good. And, and that's, that's really what's missing with digital is that you just become so spoiled because you can almost do it thoughtless and, and, you know, smartphones, digital cameras, wonderful devices. They do amazing things, but you, it's, it's, it's the thing doing it, not you. Yeah, it's a very it's a very good point. Like the the film and digital, they're both great tools, but they have different uses. It's different different horses for different courses. And uh, you know, there's yeah, there's there's absolutely good things good things and drawbacks to each. And it's a case of you know, yeah, do do you have the time to get a film photograph? Yeah, what is the what is the quality of the image that you're looking to get? You know, are you just interested in speed and saving cost, or are you interested in something? higher quality that takes a bit longer and requires more thought put into it. You know, there, there are these, these trade-offs that have to be considered, but they can both create, you know, beautiful images. You know, the, the other point is that film photography today is really, you're only talking about the capture. After the capture, you're back to digital because what you're doing is scanning and it, you're, it's, a, it's a meld of, of film and digital. So, you know, for younger people today, you introduce them to a film camera and they, once they get that, then they're into the digital realm. 
it, it's it's a it's a combination of of the two forms of photography. Most, most of the, I mean, most digital photography today, in some way, shape, or form, probably finds its way onto Instagram somehow. Well, and and it's more accessible. I, I mean, there were studies run by Kodak back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s, and the the average household had, I believe, the number was either twelve or thirteen rolls of film sitting in a drawer waiting to be developed that's part of the joy though right where like you wait <laughs> and then you develop and then you're like what the well, heck is this if they ever on, did <laughs> if they ever did but you know yeah it was it was the accessibility to everyone and uh now when when someone like like all of us we shoot film we'll develop the film then we scan the film and then we share the film just as if we would share a digital image because at that point it is a digital image it's an image that's that's being transferred from silver to to bytes and bits. Yeah, and at what point? See again, then what, at what point does it lose its? Uh, if it's if if it's a physical thing, and that's what we enjoy, that's what some people enjoy about taking a film photo. Like at some point, it loses its physical. I guess scanning loses its physicality and goes digital. You know, and then if you're, you know, from an aesthetic perspective, you might say, oh, no, but the digital, it's still imbued with what was there when we shot it analog, or you know, there's a whole heap of different inputs i guess of like you know for some people it's the what it what film photography is in terms of the way that they take a photo um you know and it's different like for me for me for example just to think that i think for me one of the my favorite things is that a i have to make the decisions count because it's there's no else you know i grew up with lcd screens telling me am i over am i under all these and i know i have there's obviously like um the light meter and stuff in the camera and, and whatnot but it's, it takes a bit more i don't know a bit more practice a bit more technical knowledge to sort of get it. And that's a bit more of a challenge, which I enjoy, but then also that I can't see what I'm creating. So it keeps me in the moment of whatever I'm doing. Whereas I remember with digital, when I was shooting, I don't know, I'm always just looking at the back of the LCD screen, like judging what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Whereas with film, you know, there's a certain element of like, well, you just got to back yourself and you're like, yep, I think I got it, move on. And you're just, you're in the moment of whatever you're doing, right. which is a, is a makes, I think for me, you know, photography just more enjoyable. That's part of it. It's just more enjoyable because I'm less. I can't judge what I'm doing. So it's like separating, uh, uh, separating creating from editing. You might say, like you know, they say that with writing. You know, like, like the, the classic script script writing vomit draft. You know, just get all your ideas down and create, and then edit after. And they're different parts of the brain. So I know for me, that's what it's done. And well, is that the key differentiator in that case where? You're effectively, you know, segmenting enjoyment from what you would use as a work tool because being able to see what you're doing in digital, obviously from a from a you know, a business point of view, is very important because you want to get the results oh, yeah. as fast yeah, as quickly yeah, yeah. and cut the keep costs down. But you're not doing that for enjoyment. You're doing that for work. Enjoyment is where you get creative and you actually use the the other process to actually be more creative and in the moment as, as you described maybe, yeah maybe i mean although one could argue that the cheaper way to do that would have just been to get some black gaffer tape and tape it over the back of the lcd screen of of my my existing digital camera <laughs> but um it doesn't quite feel the same no well the point was that in in back in the film days when you know i i didn't i don't know a lot about the consumer amateur photography film photography but for the pros and people who were doing it for a living, they would do use a barrage technique. I mean, they would just shoot, shoot and shoot and shoot. Uh, you know, a, a normal job would be maybe 10 to 20 rolls of film. And because you never knew what you were gonna get. Uh, and you, at that point, you're, you're basically just a button pusher. 
and and an aimer of the camera. Adrian said that was how he felt when digital actually came in. Like that was one interesting thing from his perspective. Absolutely. But, but, yep. but like, again, like where the line is, like we're saying, hey, like film, it's delayed gratification. You have your roles, you get them developed. There's all these different things. But, you know, Adrian was saying that when, when he was doing commercial campaigns, they'd still shoot on Polaroid and be like, hey, what do we think about this? Like, this is roughly what it's going to be. And then he'd shoot on film. And obviously the film would come back immediately. But people were still using Polaroid to, to get that wet plate. Polaroid, was, Polaroid was used for, for to test light, check color balance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was something that was very important. We had a conversation earlier today with uh, Ali Shirella, uh, who just started to shoot color slides. It, she'd been shoot, she'd shot color negatives in black and white. And her role was like maybe a half a stop overexposed. Uh, and she said, it's just, it's really soft. It's really soft. It's, it's uh, and I said, no, it's not soft. It's overexposed. So we had a long discussion about how you underexpose a third of a stop. And she's thinking backwards. She's thinking, okay, so I'm shooting ASA 100 films, so I want to rate it at 80. And I said, no, that's the opposite. You want to rate it at 125 because you want to give it less light to try to explain why she's doing that. Well, a lot of people, when they shoot black and white, you, you don't really have much of a problem with it because the latitude of the film is so great, but with color transparency, you don't have a lot of latitude. So a photographer would, would overexpose and underexpose a third stop either way to try to get what they wanted. With digital, of course, you don't need to do that. Yeah, I was shooting Roy got quite a bit of latitude. Some people also push push the film. Like, I, I can't remember which direction it is. I think Troy said, like, you know, taking, like, I can't remember which, which the direction is, where you just, you push the neck further than it's meant to go. So, like, all the noise comes up and you almost get like more of the film aesthetic that it's funny like before digital you know i'm sure for many pro photographers are trying to get rid of noise whereas now we're like bring it in bring in that film grain yeah if you if you push black and white you tend to bring up more um, more grain and it gives yeah, you that, yeah. that aesthetic um just i'm um, just changing tack not back onto the uh, documentary for a moment you mentioned adrian as um, someone that's going to feature in there is there any other prominent people that you've already tagged as being uh, involved in the in the project from from yeah a... yeah so um, we've considered just at the, at, the, at the start of a journey when it comes to talent um for, for the Kickstarter and then it's obviously something that is um evolving and, and we're hoping to 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 grow um as as the film progresses but um yeah we have Joe Greer who's uh I believe now in Tennessee but was out of New York who's a fantastic street photographer um Austin Augie uh, who actually everyone that's something that unites everyone with with the film is that. And we sort of only, we, we, we didn't come to this initially, like we only learned this when we sort of had discussions with all of the talent on the phone as, as we were sort of going through the, um, the, the early stages of, of working with them. But everyone has such a unique, uh, I don't know what you call it, like an origin story with, with their photography. So Joe, for example, was actually studying to be a pastor and then switched over to being a photographer, which is super interesting. Austin, Austin Augie, who um, is out of NYC, um, and, and jumping back to what you were saying um before um paul he prints a lot of he prints most of his photos so he tries and does like he likes the, the physical um aspect of it and he used to be a pro bmx rider um we've got Edie sunday out of texas who is um who has some really really uh powerful imagery in terms of very very uh, just like mind-bendingly interesting is what i think of it as um and she's a psychologist and photographer uh, which is again super interesting and then yeah out of uh basil in switzerland we have chantal convertini who does self-portraits and used to be a fine artist and something she said which was super interesting she was 
a fine artist because she liked to um, like paint the world how she saw it, control the world. And then she suddenly had this epiphany where she's like, wait a minute, with photography and light, I can do the same thing and then take a photo of once I'm happy with this world that I've created, which I thought was quite, quite interesting. And then, yeah, locally we have um, Jackie Mitchell, who's a fashion and dance photographer. And she, she, she came into photography. She used to be a, a ballet dancer and then had a really bad injury and ended up, um, I think it was, she was in hospital for about three or six months or something with um, a super bad injury and, and discovered photography while in hospital, if I'm, if I'm re remembering the story correctly. And then, yeah, Adrian, who was uh, advertising photographer, sort of cut his teeth, uh, assisting in the UK for many years, became a, a commercial photographer and then now does um, wet play. And just, just what you were saying before as well about like ASA and noise and stuff. I was looking at the tin, the tin type, a uh, piece of tin, I guess, that Adrian had. And I'm like, what is it about this that's so captivating? I was trying to find the words. And then he was like, oh, what you're seeing is that it has an ASA of one in terms of what's on the tin. So it is so crisp and sharp on this piece of tin because it has no noise because you're taking obviously the exposure over like, I don't know, five seconds or something, um, which is also why people back in the day never smile in photos. Everyone always looks so glib <laughs> because they can't, no one can hold a smile for that long. So they just tell no. everyone, relax and do nothing. Well, they had neck braces back then too and all sorts of yeah. people. Well, Adrian, Adrian has a thing here. He has a thing for his portraiture where it's like uh, on a, some type of C-stand or something where it's just a little cushion so that someone can rest their head on it so that they don't move during the exposure. And he, he also does uh, stuff with like flash photography as well, which I think is super interesting. So really, you know, a hot flash. Um, and you get some really moody stuff with lighting, um, which is super, super interesting. And then also just additionally to artists, um, we've, we've also filmed with the National Film and Sound Archive here in Australia. And we want to sort of get the perspective of, you know, psychologists as well around, I don't know, like delayed gratification, all this stuff, all these things, right? It's artistic and it taps into the, oh, why I do it? And what, you know, and it's all, it's all interesting stuff. But then what it means for all of us as society, like psychologically about, oh, instant gratification versus delayed gratification. You know, the fact that like an interesting thing, I think with, with when we're saying before about Instagram, what you're mentioning, Paul, is like, you know, family photo albums is not just that it's physical it's that the type of photos that people liked enough to put in family photo albums would not ever see the light of day on instagram these days because a we can shoot way more shots until we get it and b like i don't know you see photos of whatever uncle jimmy and he's pulling some weird expression and it's a family shot and like two or three people don't look good whereas now we get we go again and again and again on the phone until everyone's looking good and then boom it goes on social media whereas it's fine back in the day. And we didn't worry about having photos taken of ourselves because where's it going to go? Like some book in my lounge room that no one's going to see, you know, only immediate or close friends are going to see it once a year. So it doesn't matter how I look, but now with social media, every photo theoretically matters or one might say matters how we look because anything can go anywhere. So it's also like, it's not just that film is nostalgic and family photo albums. It's where do photos live? And, and that has obviously changed tremendously yeah. in the last 20 years. What you've really tapped into there, Dean, is that the window between creation of an image and criticism of that image has totally collapsed. So, like, we, we criticise something the moment it is created, whereas there used to be this gap. Um, but, yeah, I think, yeah, Paul, Paul, you really made a great segue earlier about how, you know, um, capture of an image is really only part of the story. And for us, you know, do the documentary, we really do want to look into distribution of images and sharing of images and how how much that's shaped society because really the sharing of images and photographs and video have become so 
intertwined with our culture now, um, you know, in ways that none of us could have imagined, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. And we really want to explore that and just see how, you know, what, 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 are, what are the good things that digital has done, but also maybe what have we lost that, you know, that we could remember from film and bring back, you know, there's a, there's a really interesting piece we think there in terms of like what, what has society, um, you know, left behind that we could learn from um, and that we could, you know, reconsider about how we shape our culture and share our stories with each other. Well, the, the British photographer, Oliver Wendell Holmes in 1859 came out with uh, his, his phrase for photography at that time was the mirror with a memory. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a, wow. It's absolutely that's perfect. I mean, it's, that, that, that just sums up what, uh, what photography was at that time and, and what it, it has been up till now. And it still is a mirror with a memory. It's just it, you, you view it in a different method. You're not mm. looking at a hard copy of a print. You're looking at it on a computer screen or, or something like that. And, and what you've lost is the, uh, the photo albums that you're, you're talking about. And, and that's the sad part because photography today, even with film photography, is, it's fleeting. I've really been wanting to ask a follow-up to, to both Dean and to James, and that I know that you know for the, the for the purpose of the Kickstarter, it makes so much sense to focus on creators, and and you've got like a really cool diverse group, and it, it's kind of it's fun for me because like I've been following Chantel's photography on Instagram for like four years. And it was a friend of mine who was a, 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 a portrait photographer. Was like, you really need to follow this woman. She's doing fantastic work. And so obviously the dynamic of, of social media and the way that film interacts, you know, there's like, you know, there's film YouTube and film, you know, uh, Instagram and film Twitter. Uh, but, you know, with revival, I'm also wondering if you're going to be able to, as the film is defined right now, are you going to expand it to include things like, like the, the really cool startups, like what's going on at ADOX or what's going on at Ferrania or what's going on at Orvo, uh, you know, or even something like, you know, what, what Stephen Dowling is doing with Cosmophoto. Are you going to be able to go beyond just working at creators and is like actual, the, you know, the tactile film production and the, the changes that are taking place that it's no longer just going to be Fuji and Kodak and that there's this new wave of, of, of production that's also going on. Uh, is that going to be part of the scope of the film or is that just going to be outside of the film? No, no, no de definitely hoping so. Like, again, that's that's one of the strands that has that emerged as well. Like, one interesting thought we were thinking is, you know, let's just say uh, it's like COVID has sort of raised, raised all these things of like global supply chain things where suddenly everything slows down because, oh my God, cars all need chips. There's a shortage of chips. Suddenly car production grinds to a halt, right? So like, what are, what are those type of things in film photography? And the answer is, well, chemicals that make film and as things are dying out, it's like the number of companies that are doing it shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And, you know, it's super exciting to see that now it's like a, a glimmer of, well, I guess enough people are into film for there to be a market opportunity for startups to go, hey, like, I don't know. It's a place of business competition where there's opportunity for money to be made because people want to use film again. And so I think that's super exciting. Like that's less in terms of a litmus test of how many people are using film. It's like, okay, well, smart people with money are investing in, you know, the, the mechanics of production for film stock. And that's great. <laughs> Who do you envision as your target audience for the documentary? Like, are you, are you hoping to attract young people who are first getting into film are you hoping to attract the old timers uh the artists i mean because like 
I have a different motivation than like Anthony does. You know, there's different things that get me excited. If you go to my site, I spend 50% of the time talking about the history. You know, I care more about who made this camera. You know, why does it have the features that it did? What, how is it innovative? What was the type of person looking for that would have bought something, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago? Um, I'm a terrible photographer. You know, if, if you ever see a good picture I took, I guarantee you it was an accident. <laughs> but, um, you know, so like you could get 20 of us into a room and each one of us kind of has a different thing that really interests us. So I'm just curious if you have kind of in your mind who the potential person that's going to watch your, your documentary is going to be. Well, I, I would say that really the, you know, the, the, there's a number of different audiences for this project. So, I mean, for, first of all, the, the Kickstarter for Revival is, re is really just, I guess, a test of just seeing what kind of audience is out there. One way or another, with or without the Kickstarter, like we're very committed to completing this project, you know, in, in one form or another. But um, in terms of who the audience is at the moment, I would say the core audience is definitely the, the, the hardcore, you know, photographer or cinematographer or, you know, analog film fan, if we call it. We kind of view that as the, I guess, the, the you know, sort of the platform audience, but then we would build on top of that audience to a, a wider group of people. So there's maybe, you know, young people who are first discovering, you know, film, you know, for the first time in their lives. There's people who grew up with film or had film their whole lives and they're nostalgic for that period in time. Um, but it, in our view, we really want the, the project to break out of, uh, just being focused on the photographic space and cinematography. We would like this film to be, this, this movie to be embraced broadly by the creative community and be embraced, I think, by anyone with an interest in culture and images and, and you know, communication and media. So, so growing, much, growing much broader. Um, do you want to add something to that, Dean? Um, no, I think it summarizes it pretty well. I think, like, the film definitely has, like, a grassroots feel, like, I don't know. I feel like what's what I really enjoyed about. So if I think back to my to my sort of entry into film with um, this guy Troy Baird, who um, is now out of Canada, absolute legend. Um, I don't know. I felt it just felt so inclusive and so easy, and it was like instant entry to the enjoyment of film. And I really, I guess, valued that. It, it didn't feel like film is some ivory tower for ivory tower people. It felt just like, hey, anyone can do this and get amongst it. And like, yeah. You know, like the first roll of film I shot, I was on a job in Sao Paulo and I was so excited and I didn't load the film right. And so I got, I got like the airplane wing, I think a building in the taxi and that was it. That was like, and the whole time I was in Sao Paulo, like I was just like clicking away, not realizing that the, 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 the sprockets were just grinding because I'd never done it before. I didn't know how. So, you know, funny stuff happens when you start, but it felt really like accessible. And I guess for me, that's how I want the film to feel as well. So, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not only artists for artists, it's like artists and culture and psychology and, you know, a bit of history. Um, I sort of wanted to be quite accessible to a range of different people, I guess, would, would be my thought on it. I, I, think, I think if we could summarize maybe um, the, the ultimate vision of this project, we would love it to not only celebrate and champion analog film for future generations, but we would also like it to start a conversation more broadly, you know, on how we communicate, how, how important have images become to society and how has that changed because of digital? So it's kind, it's kind of a combination of looking at history, but 
more so looking at what new generations are doing with, with film. And see, like that would be interesting to me because, you know, again, I, I love history um, and not to get like, you know, negative or anything. But like when you look at society, there's there's just a lot of things that aren't going smoothly, we'll just say. And I think a lot of that has become that we're not good at talking to each other anymore. And there's instant gratification constantly. If a new movie comes out, I can stream it on Netflix the, the moment it comes out. If a new album comes out, I don't have, you know, I can just stream it again. Uh, when I snap a digital picture, I see it immediately. There's, there's no, people, I don't think, value stuff anymore. People don't value that human connection. And like, you know, you said this, there's the, talking to a psychologist you know, I would be curious to see, like, when people want to hold a mechanical metal and glass camera or uh, a vinyl record, and you can't see me, but I'm pointing to my vinyl record collection over there. You know, that's kind of the same thing. Like, I enjoy holding a 12-inch cardboard. Some of them have the gatefold. You get this big piece of art showing you the album art, you know, instead of a tiny little thumbnail on your screen, you know. I enjoy the act of taking a round piece of vinyl put it on a record player, see the needle move, you know, the sounds that it makes. And those, you know, are analogous to cameras too. The sound of the camera winding, you know, the shutter firing. I don't know if you can hear that. But, you know, they make sounds, the feel of rewinding the film. You know, if you do your own development, the smell of the chemicals. Now, they don't usually smell that good, but the fact is <laughs> they have a smell that you don't get any other way. So, like, there's, with photography, film photography, it entices you in ways that no other form of photography does. But I'm curious to know like why that is and how mm. as a society, can we get somewhat close back to that? I mean, I know it's never going to be, you know, the seventies where, you know, film is at the top of the charts. Like it'll never be that, but let's get somewhere close to where we can actually appreciate the patience required, you know, the art of, uh, of thinking of an image before you take it, you know, and wanting to share it with people. Totally. Totally. I mean, like, yeah, I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's like that there's something profound in that because society has become so instant. We can have whatever we want, you know, at the click of our fingers and being, being able to slow things down, it just raises our appreciation of everything. That's like, that's like the delayed, delayed gratification as well in terms of, and then I can't remember who said it, but it's the, uh, the, the working to mow the lawn to get the money to get the video game console yeah. uh, console as opposed to um you know it just arriving without having to have done anything for it i mean picture taking a group of teenagers and showing them a slide projector and, and they, what does this thing do it's like well people used to take pictures and they would send <laughs> off to a lab and they would get these little pieces of cardboard with a piece of film in it they would stick them in a carousel they would wait for christmas for everybody to come over to the house dad would pull out their screen and put it down and everybody would sit on a couch and you'd look at vacation photos together. See, like I've done that. I've done that with my dad, with uh, my parents, with um, like, I don't know, they've got back pre-COVID, got back from like an overseas holiday, you know? And like the flip side is, is that we did do that. Yeah. It's just that he was flicking it up from his iPhotos library or whatever, from, from, his, yeah. from his iPhone to the screen. So it's interesting, right? Because uh, my head, I started this journey in the film was like, oh yeah, analog and this and this. And, and, I'm actually quite surprised at how many times um, there's a flip that's happened in my head where it's like I go down a strand and I think I know what I need to know about something. And then it's like, boom, we had Polaroids ages ago and that was instant. So is instant gratification really what it's about? Then like, okay, mate, then you go down some other road and you're like, okay, blah, 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 bl
wet plate is one ASA and the images are sharper than what film is. So maybe actually an older tech is better in some way. Boom. Like, I just feel like I'm constantly in my own head, breaking my own expectation of whatever it is that I'm going to learn about whatever we're covering in the documentary. And I think like from a creative perspective, like that's what excites me because it's fodder for good documentary, right? Where you go down a road and then there's a turn or a twist, go down the next strand, turn or a twist, next strand. Turn. Like there's so many interesting things that, that happen like that. Project. Yeah, discovery. Yeah. Like oh, honestly, that's, that's been the most exciting thing so far is every, like, it's like, it's like that feeling of <laughs> the negative side of it is having a to-do list in life where it gets, it grows as, as all to-do lists do. It grows at like twice the rate that you can tick off your to-do list. So that's the bad side of, of, of what I'm talking about. The good side is I'm discovering, or I think we are as a team, I guess, discovering more and more things with every one thing we answer, like two or three more questions pop up, answer one of those, another two or three questions. So it's a bit of a divergent situation in a really, really exciting way. We've actually got a new call. Well, this just joined Hong Lee. I'm from Chicago, so welcome, Hong. But before we, we, we cut off, to, cut over to Hong, is one of those strands that you talked about earlier, and this is probably directly related to this podcast to some extent. Yeah. Will it be covering any sort of gear type discussions, like you know what cameras became popular and why, and what and what what's actually been driving some of that, and you know, is is that uh, part of um, the thinking there? Or I think it'll definitely be a stepping stone because invariably like okay so let's say we're all we are all um across both you know motion and stills we all like i'm by no means a camera expert i know a bit but i would definitely given how many cameras you guys have in the backgrounds of your of the zoom call here i would say you would definitely know far more than i about the camera in the history i guess my question is always what can we learn from it and it's interesting that you know is new for me like the answer to your question is yes and it's is newer always better so we might catalog you know, not that this is a documentary only about that, but in terms of where I see that, that strand going is you catalog it all. You go through all this stuff to arguably we get to an iPhone or a digital camera, which is theoretically the most advanced photography capture mechanism that we have. And therefore, shouldn't the world just be like, I don't know, shouldn't we all be singing Kumbaya around the fire? Like this is just the greatest thing ever, but then is it? And so I think like, and that's, again, like when I think it's with a wet plate, one ASA, super sharp. There's something that draws me about these physical wet plates. But like it's ridiculous. You know, Adrian is taking photos on a wooden box with a 120-year-old piece of glass on the front of it. Um, arguably, that's where photography started, yet he's using it today, getting still some of the sharpest images that you can get. Uh, it's very interesting to me. Um, so I guess the short answer is yes. Exactly what form it takes, I think, for me, is just making sure that it feels integrated in terms of the wider story and um, how it all sort of flows in that regard. But, I mean, that's that's what I like about the documentary. There's so many, uh, what would you call it, like nodes and strands. I don't know if there's a visual way to think about it, like, you know, planets and satellites, however one might create an analogy for it. There's so many different interconnected things that jump that creates so many good jumping off points it's, it's it's the opposite to what one might call threading the needle sometimes you're making content whether it's for a brand or for, for something like a passion project and i don't know it all comes down to this bottleneck and in order to make it work this one thing you need it to bridge you from one concept to another whereas what's really exciting about the documentary is that like there's that saying like you know you gotta you gotta kill your darlings or whatever on the, in, in the edit and you gotta let all the or like all this great footage lie and that's definitely going to be our problem we're going to have we're going to have lots of options of lots of amazing pathways within the story. So yeah, definitely part of it. 
Sorry, long answer to a short question. Yes, yes, we will. <laughs> Dean, let me let me sort of. This is like an oddball follow up question to this. Can you give us an autobiography and three cameras? You know, we are all like camera nerds. You can see all the cameras around us. Are there three cameras? Yeah, yeah. Three are there three film cameras that at different parts of your life have brought you to the point where you want to make this this documentary? No, to be honest, I I have I have one. I have an OM4, an Olympus OM4. I was chatting with Troy when I first got into film photography and was like, hey, what um, what type of camera? Should I was looking at like size and form factor. And, you know, Troy is a very big proponent on, um, like, I can't remember what the number he said. is like 70% of taking a good photo is just having your camera on you. And um, I'm sure my fiance, my fiance actually said the other day, she's like, you got to have your camera out more because you can't take a film photo if you don't have a camera on your shoulder. And she's right. Um, so I have, a, I have two Olympus OM4s and I just find, I've just really enjoyed that camera. Um, I sometimes go out with like two different lenses on them, got some filtration. Um, so for me, I've just been interested in that, you know, like I, I definitely like, obviously like the Holy Grail of like a Leica rangefinder or something like that would be interesting to explore. But um, yeah, I don't know. I've sort of just been really interested in, for me, the big thing is the process less. So I'm like, don't get me wrong. I'm a total gear nerd when it comes to like the video side of things and i'm like what are we shooting this on and all this and all that whereas the film for me i think i've learned that it's very much about the process of slowing down and you know i've experimented with different film stock currently like agfa I used to like fuji shot a lot of fuji in japan got some pretty interesting stuff with forests with the deep greens and the blacks and stuff but yeah i just have so my answer to that question is like two olympus om4s and polaroid as well how about you know, james james you James has a bit more. He's, he's got a couple more different cams. Oh, see, the thing is, I, I don't remember the the exact uh, model numbers, but I can tell you what I do remember. So I, I would say for <laughs> me, I would say for me, the the three quintessential cameras were my dad's Olympus, which I think was like a 1970s Olympus that I used a couple of times as a kid, and then another turning point camera for me was using a Bolex 16 mil um, in uh, in at film school about 15, 16 years ago. And then the, the, the main film camera that I own and use right now is a Mamiya 645. So medium, medium format. And that's a lot of fun to use. Yeah, I got to throw Super 8 into the mix as well, though, James. Good shout. We got a 10. A 10. There it is right there. That's how fast I was able to grab it. Wow. <laughs> that, next to that, me. that was quick. <laughs> yeah. He's got them all around just for this question. He's like got the, the top 10 most mentioned cameras just out of arm shot, ready to grab. It is amazing during our regular podcast episodes how how someone will bring up a camera and it's like literally sitting next to me. It's like, God, I really have a sickness. On a typical episode of our podcast, we'll run through discussions of, of 30 to 35 cameras per episode. Whoa, right on. But you know, you, you said something too in regards to gear, like if you're if on that thread of gear uh, about the process and you know, I like digital too. I have digital cameras. Like, you know, I really would love to try one of the new Nikon Z series. I can't afford it. Mm. You know, I mean, yet I, I have on this wall over here cameras that when they were new cost the, you know, inflation adjusted equivalent of three, four thousand dollars. I mean, but yet you can pick up used cameras for so much cheaper than what they originally sold yeah. for. So, you know, I could take a picture with a Leica, a Pentax, an Olympics, Olympus, uh, a Fuji, you know, and, and to be honest with you, once you develop the image, 
you know, barring a few, you know, specific lenses that give kind of a distinct look, you know, the, the pictures don't ultimately come out that much different when you're talking on kind of an even level of quality, like mm. Japanese or German uh, cameras. But it's that process. Like every camera is different. And that's where, um, you know, this is called a Lordomat. You know, a Lordomat just physically works differently than other cameras do. You know, I'll grab a Yashica rangefinder and it works a little bit differently than another camera mm. does. And that's what's so appealing to me about film is that I have that ability to try so many different ways. And, and I'll tell you, sometimes the more bizarre the camera is, the more fun it is. You know, um, <laughs> I, as much as I love like a Nikon F4 or F5 or F6, I know they make great cameras, but they're not that exciting to use, you know. So, you know, that's just another kind of like branch or finger or whatever you're talking about that you could kind of go into is that if you want yeah, to shoot yeah. film, there's a hundred different ways to do it, too. And that's what's really cool, in my opinion. That's, that's so true. Yeah, that's very true. And you can experiment. Yeah, the, tact the tactility of it is so different. It's actually interesting you mentioned the experiment because I know Matt Jones who's who's on here, um, who he experiments with, you know, all different types of capture. And then he even develops in tea, which is uh, which is something quite unique I haven't seen very often. It smells a lot better than developing in coffee. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to cameras, do you prefer cameras that are more like full feature with like meters or do you prefer things that are a little bit more stripped down where you have to do more work yourself instead of letting the camera handle it? I mean, for me personally, I definitely like the metering. I'd say like in terms of my skill level, I'm still on my own learning journey when it comes to the technical side of things. Some, although arguably some of my favorite photos there's one I'm thinking of in particular where uh, it's, it's, it's actually like it's an accident. Like I didn't realize, I think I put the ISO wrong or something, so it underexposed something in a way that actually resulted in something that I'm like, wow, that is a very magical surprise, which is maybe something else that film gives you a bit more surprise, a bit more a sense of like mystery and magic as opposed to, hey, boom, here's digital the same every time, no matter what you do. Um, anyway, um, I, I definitely like like the OM4, for example, where you can, you can, I don't know what the exact, I don't know what the name of the feature is, but like the spot metering, I think it's got 10, um, uh, for lack of a better word, holding bays that take an average. So you can like, I don't know, you can meter the sky, meter the ground, and it gives you the average of the two. Or you can go, oh, hey, this is really backlit. I want to sort of like, I want to go to the ground, but, uh, you know, I want to, I'm going I'm to say take two meters off the ground so that that's what I want to do. Like I want this to be the focus, but I'm going to lighten everything up at like a third of a stop or a third, so I'll meter once off the sky above me. So you can you can choose where you want to do based on just places around the frame, as opposed to mirroring off something. And it's probably like, a, one might say, the purists would probably say that's a technical crutch. Um, I don't think the OM2s had it, but um, I found that super useful. So I guess my answer to that would be uh, features, but um, I think in the future, I'm excited to sort of explore going a bit more, um, I don't know, a bit more wild with it. A guy I was talking to, I can't remember what camera it was, but he was like, it has, oh, was it Troy? I can't remember, it was someone. They they were using a camera that had nothing. And he was just like, yeah, no, I can sort of tell from like the sky and just the day and what's happening and what film I've got. So I'll just like, and he, you know, I'll just roll with it and set based on my eye of what's happening. Um, and that to me is like the creme de la creme. I'd love to get there one day. Right, right. How do you feel about this concept of creative constraints? You, I think one of the things that's, to me, that's interesting about that difference between say digital and like film cameras is 
sometimes with a lot of digital cameras, there's so many features. It's so easy to get lost. There's so much handholding. Like, I really can't tell what's going on. I'm taking a picture, but I, you know, there's, it seems that the machine is kind of doing more of the work for me. And one of the things I thought was interesting is I bought, my first phone camera was a Spotmatic with a non-functioning meter. And I didn't really know anything about these concepts, like the so-called exposure triangle, ISO, aperture, um, shutter speed. Sunny um, 16. Exactly. But to me, that was a, it, was, it was difficult because I made a lot of mistakes. But in terms of like learning, I, I feel that I learned a lot. Crash course in learning, though, right? Exactly. And I did have an experience like the one that you described. Like I, had no, I, I screwed up something like really badly. Like I think I overexposed like slide film, like really, really horribly, but I kind of liked it because what I got was completely different from what I thought I was getting in a way that I liked. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's interesting, right? If you go like, if all you ever get is what you expect, I don't know. It's like, is that creativity or is that just repetition? So like maybe I, for me personally, what I like is that, you know, I don't know things. I, I learn things as I go, like, I don't know. I made it too close to the sun and too much of the direct sun gets into the meter. And so what I think is going to be this sweet ass backlit image in like a floristry and this like magical forest green thing, just like, again, just hobby photography, like on the side at, um, where my fiance used to work ends up like super underexposed. So like, you know, good, important lesson. And then other times, as you say, when something happens and something, I don't know, exposes more, it then maybe takes you in an interesting direction of going, okay, well, what does playing with overexposing certain things in certain situations look like? And that, I don't know, it's like an interesting thing to explore. Like that's a fun, like, I don't know, is it, maybe that's what creativity is. It's like finding things out and trying them and experimenting. Um, whereas I guess what you're saying is that most of that experimentation is like on autopilot within the body of a digital camera. And so like your hands aren't really on the controls, one might say. Well, I think Hong and I both shoot both film and digital. And mm. I think uh, we both shoot uh, old, old lenses on both film and digital. So we're, we're, we're combining both processes. Hong shoots a lot. I mean, he shoots, you shoot basically every day. Well, I have a, like a 30 minute walk to and from the train station to the office. So, so are you shooting film or digital during the day? You know, both. It, it just depends on whatever I feel like. Um, but yeah, I get to play photographer while I go to my real job. But that's, you know, that's something I was saying earlier, though, when I was talking about being in front of that class is that there are people out there that feel like you have to pick. It's, it's one or the other. And, and I say, mm. no, that's silly. You know, do both. They both are good for different reasons. I mean, even if you don't care about the crazy backlit images or pushing grain or, or you know, going for an unexpected look, sometimes just the pleasure of using an, a one kilogram metal and glass machine that goes click, click, snap, you know what I mean? And has gears winding and mm. such. I mean, that is, uh, Hong, in fact, you he, Hong has two of my cameras right now. And I, I recall you saying you were shooting my Minolta autocord and you said that no matter how many times I use this camera, it still is exciting when you look through the waist level finder and you're focusing your image and you see this bright image reflected on the ground glass, right? I mean, how many times have you shot a TLR yet every single time you do it, you get a little bit of excitement just from that act of it, right? right. Well, and the experience, as you say, is so fundamentally different. Right. Like when you see the ground glass, and it's so much bigger than say like a 35 millimeter camera. So when you manipulate the focus, 
and you see the image come into focus, it is almost like magical. It's like it's coming out of like a mist or something. It's really cool. You know, it's, it's not something I've experienced with like other cameras. And the way, with the way the camera is oriented, you're looking down. So your angle of view is different. And I think that's really interesting. But that's too, an interesting like, thing, like the format, like photos at eye height versus photos at belly bar, like waist height, different right. view of the world, right? Right. Well, especially for people too. If you take a look at a lot of like Vivian Myers or photos, when she was taking pictures of people with a Rolleiflex, because of that angle, they kind of had like this, like they look a little bit more heroic in some occasions, just because mm. the, the lens is down further than it is normally like at eye level. Yeah, the perspective, the perspective shift, the perspective shift is a bit more, it's just different. Right. I have, um, I got, have my, my grandfather, um, my late grandfather was a director and cinematographer um, in the 80s and 90s, or 70s and 80s, sorry. Um, and after he passed away, I, I knew he had it, but I, did, I didn't know what was in it. And my dad was like, hey, go clean out the shed. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he had this old box of camera stuff. And I was like, you know what? I should, I should look at that box. I just hadn't for a decade, right? Um, it turned out to be a, a Wister 45 um, large format. And I've only, I've only played around with it um, a couple of times. But, um, and one of those times involved accidentally opening an entire box and exposing an entire box of the film because I think it was Kodak had it wrapped and then some other brand didn't. So I just thought they all came wrapped. So I opened it up. I'm like, cool, great. I just wasted 60 bucks. Um, but um, it was interesting with that, like with the ground glass where you're looking at it, like obviously with 35 and it's like you're looking at something and, and your eye can take it. It's like your eye can take it all in at the same time. It's like when you sit, it's like the same thing of like where everyone has a different thing of where they like to sit at the movie theater. You know, some people like to sit at the back so they can just see everything. Some people like to sit closer so you feel a bit more immersed and your eye is focused on the center and maybe the edges are a bit more peripheral vision and you find yourself looking around a bit more. It's a bit of a different experience. I sort of found that same thing with the ground glass where it was so, and it's the size of it, where I'm like trying to judge the image and I'm like moving my head almost to like different places on the back of it. And obviously it's like inverted and everything as well. So I was doing my head in a bit in terms of where I was looking and what the heck was happening when I was adjusting the camera. But um, super interesting when you have the different formats of, of things, you know, as you say, beyond 35 or like wet plate or, you know, Adrian, for example, when he does a wet plate, he obviously sets everything up, puts the thing in the back and then there's no trigger release. He has a lens cap and he's not even looking in the back of the camera. He set it all up and he has like stopwatch and he opens it and depending on what he, you know, I assume the mix of the chemicals and what and the light levels and where everything's at, he is actually exposing with the lens cap on a timer. So he's like, okay, well, this exposure needs to be two seconds or five seconds or whatever it ends up being. So yeah, I mean, the format and, and the tech, yeah, <laughs> the format and the tech, obviously, um, you know, I guess the thing, right, it changes the way you take a photo. And maybe that's the interesting thing for, for digital you know, Wista 45, um, 35, rangefinder versus SLR, Polaroid, like all these different things are a different experience of photography, you might well, say. I think what you're tapping into there, Dean, as well, is just the, the nature of dealing with, with analog cameras is that they're not just a tool, they're an instrument. You feel like you're using an mm. instrument, you know, whereas with a digital camera, yes, they're a tool, but they, they don't have that same instrument kind of feel to it when you're using it. Maybe it's a feel thing as well. Like, I don't know, for, for, for people who, like driving a car is the same thing. Like some cars, you feel somewhat disconnected from the road. You put your foot down. It's a bit laggy. It's a bit like, I don't know, like a, a daily commute versus, I don't know, like a high-end sports car where you feel the car and there's a lot of, 
I don't know, feedback through the drivetrain, if you will, to use a different analogy. Maybe that's sort of similar. Like it's, it's a different feel for a different flavor of, of photography. So I wanted to come back to the documentary. Um, I, I, you know, you guys are getting funding on Kickstarter, but you had said that you're already reaching out to people. So, I mean, you've already begun working on it. Like what's the next step towards getting towards your end vision? I mean, have you started filming actual content that you intend to be in it or are you still just sort of exploring options yeah no we've started we've definitely started filming um so far filmed with national film and sound archive plus two artists um locally in 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 australia so yeah i mean that's that's that's, that's sort of like where a lot of the filming sorry where a lot of the footage from the kickstarter trailer comes from is stuff that definitely will be in the the final film in terms of building that out um i guess the next step is really for us like one fantastic thing I think online is that it really does feel like there's a, I don't know what the right word is, like a vibrant community of, of people who really just enjoy film. So I think our goal now is really to just build the community. Like we want to be, we want to, you know, get benefit from like seeing, you know, building the community and, 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 and that side of it, but also, hey, what is there a way where we can give back and help grow the community, help like going, okay, what can we contribute? Um, and I think, I think, that for me is the exciting thing. Like we've had such great feedback on, on Instagram and so many people reaching out, just being like, oh, this is cool. Or, or sharing part of their own story of, hey, this is how I came to film. And what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, you know, it's, it's, I, think, I think for us at this stage, it's really just about getting the word out and, you know, helping, helping more people discover, I don't know, I guess what we all know, which is the joy of film. I saw in the trailer you used a lot of effects that looked like Super 8 film. Is that that is Super 8? So, is Super 8. so we're okay. shooting. Um, yeah, and it's interesting as well. We're like shooting this mixed format, so we're shooting a lot of stuff digital, um, a lot of stuff on Super 8, which is a super um, fun format to work with for the film. Um, so yeah, it's 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 um no yeah that is definitely Super 8. It's very different, very different for Emma and I, or particularly Emma when shooting, where we're like you know working with a two and a half minute cartridge versus a you know, see fast card, which has umpteen amounts of data to use, but it's like, you know, shooting di the interviews digital is great. We don't have to worry about time. Some of the overlay super eight also great, has a really um, fun, fun feel to it. On the super eight are you using sound or is that going to be just silent? No, no silent. Although we have, we have upgraded our camera since we started. So we have a, a 1014 XL S I think it is um, Canon. So that does shoot sound and I do have a mic for it and it is a whole lot quieter than the other one we were using for so far. But um, yeah. I was just asking, do you have uh, yeah. an idea of like a release date? Yeah. Very good question. I mean, really at the moment, like a, a big factor is just how quickly we can capture the rest of the stories. Right. So right. we're, I mean, as Dean was saying, we've already shot most of the stuff that we were going to shoot in Australia. So really we're looking international now. Um, you know, very much hoping that we can shoot extensively in the US uh, and, and just, uh, you know, North America in general and um, Europe and, and across Asia. Um, re really, it depends on how, how quickly we establish who our distribution partners are going to be. So we're in the process of reaching out to the major streaming, um, you know, companies and the, the studios and independent film financiers and executive producers. So really just working out who our partners are going to be. So the, the, the Kickstarter kind of sits within that whole tapestry of how do we, how do we reach out to the audience? How do we get financing? Um, you know, how do we get the film in front of as many people as possible? So cer certainly the Kickstarter is a, is a major piece of that. 
But it, it, even, uh, you know, without the Kickstarter, certainly we're talking to a lot of industry colleagues and partners that we have from previous projects and through artists who are connected to the documentary. So, yeah, really just trying to navigate our way ahead. Um, we would hope that the, the project could be finished as soon as early, mid next year. Um, but it really just comes down to the timeline for getting a distributor on board. Um, and another factor as well is if, you know, if we get into a film festival, they may have certain requirements around having a world premiere. And usually they have a window in which they have exclusivity over the, the initial screening. So that's another factor as well. But really just navigating our way through that whole kind of labyrinth at the moment. For the stuff that you've filmed so far, I'm curious in terms of generations, what in terms of generations, what sort of people have you filmed thus far? Primarily younger people, like the so-called MZ generation, older folks. Um, where have you seen like the most enthusiasm for film? Uh, two, so two questions in terms of who we've filmed. So Adrian, who's sort of like you know uh, further along in his career. I don't I don't know his exact age, but he is older than Jackie, who is sort of a mid twenties um, fashion photographer. In terms of showing the most interest, I think it's it's a good mix. Like young people are interested in film. Um, older people who have a bit more nostalgia of hey, this is like. Um, you know, the slide film that I remember from when I was growing up. Um, so it is, I think, a really, a pretty even mix, actually, of like young people, it's, it's young, for young people, it taps into a sense of discovery. For old people, it taps, or older people, it taps into a sense of nostalgia and, hey, I remember this. And, and, and you know, a lot of our, like, for example, um, our other producer, Rebecca, like her parents, like, oh, this is really interesting, like this. And then, then they go into their story of, oh, and this, and we had that, and we used to use this. And oh, do you remember that holiday when? It, it sparks all these really interesting conversations. You know, so I, I, I work about a block away from a camera store in downtown Chicago, Central Cameron. I, I pretty much go there like every day I can. And what fascinates me about the customer base there is I would expect to see people who grew up before digital to go to those places, buy film, whatnot, because, you know, there's nostalgia involved in something they know, but mm. there's quite a few like uh, college students, people in their twenties buying cameras and film as well. And I found that to be really, really interesting. And I'm kind of curious what the motivation or the interest is in film because film is, I guess, like more limiting. Um, it's not quite as flexible as like digital. And mm. if it's not something that you necessarily grew up with, what is it? What is the appeal? What is the interest in film? It's a it's a really good question. I will be able to I'll be able to answer that in a couple of months when we when we have done more filming, right? Like I'm interested in that too, and and I think that is partly what we're trying to uncover. It's like okay, what is it that makes films? What what is it that makes film different? And I think that everyone's got their own unique flavor and perspective on on, on what that is. But but there definitely does seem to be a big swell, like you know, hence the name revival of young people embracing film. And, you know, that is a trend um, for sure. And, and yeah, it's like, it's like, what, is, is a good question. Yeah. Is it, is it, is it curiosity or is it a reaction to the oversaturation of digital imagery that they've grown up with? Is it, is it rebelling or what, what is it? Is it a combination of those things? Um, I mean, definitely there's creative curiosity there, but it, is it in some, some way or shape or form a, uh, you know, a, um, yeah, is it related to the environment that they've grown up in and that they're trying to try something different? They're trying to experience something new that they haven't experienced for. I mean, certainly from our standpoint, like 
for me and Dean and for everyone working on the team, but on this project, you know, we, we don't want to see film just be part of history that people talk about in 50 years time. We want film to be not, not only something that's celebrated, but something is still perceived as a, as a, as a viable, as a viable capture medium, you know, well into the future. That's what we want it to, to, to remain and um, keep, keep flourishing as best as it can, you know? Well, we've gone over an hour. I'm sure you guys have other things to do, so we should probably wrap this up. Well, guys, thanks for coming on and doing this. We really appreciate you taking the time. No, of course. Super interesting chat, guys. I think like, you know, even just like this, right, we could probably go around and just probably talk for days about this type of thing. I think that that's something that definitely gets me excited is that like the fact that talking about film, it does actually ladder up to a whole lot of interesting things that go beyond the medium itself you know like it's not just you know it's not just about like they're always the interesting thing it's not the what that's interesting it's the why that's interesting and i think that that's what that's what we hope to uncover i think that would be really fascinating is the why you know because everybody knows how what a photograph is but why does somebody choose one way to do it or another why does someone get excited over one medium over another or, you know and and i'm really looking forward to seeing this project completed and i wish you guys the best of luck absolutely yeah thank you so much thank you so much everyone. very much guys thank you. A pleasure. Thank you. all right catch you guys later Bye. obviously on analog audio right yeah i have a tape recorder over here really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cassette tape yeah (laughs) he has the big pass scam running behind him